Well, good evening or good morning over at Benton Heights. We, if you are new to First Church, we're three campuses making up one church. And the Benton Heights campus is over in Benton Harbor, Benton Heights, northeast part of Benton Harbor. And they're with us this weekend by video. So I want to welcome them with us this weekend. Glad that God's doing some great things out in Benton Harbor. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to an Old Testament passage we're going to be looking at. And I would always strongly encourage you to bring your Bible with you, uh, whether you've got it on your smartphone or something, or uh, you've got your book with you, your Bible with you, because uh, it's just uh, helpful to be able to kind of refer back to what we're talking about um, as, as we talk. Uh, we start this weekend a new series called Restore. And it really is based on uh, our vision as a church. Our vision of it as a church is to... Uh, restore God's ideal uh, in our world. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that uh, this weekend. We're going to talk about how that works both for us uh, individually, what that looks like, and how, what that looks for us uh, as a church. What's it look like for us uh, uh, locally to restore God's ideal? What's God's ideal? What's it look like for us to restore God's ideal and to work and to strive for that internationally? And hopefully we'll get challenged as we uh, break apart God's word and think about how uh, then, God, do you want me personally to be engaged in what you're up to uh, in your world? And so, uh, if you have your Bible, again, Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, uh, and this really, this, this uh, chapter is becoming uh, a personal favorite of mine. If you uh, read it and, and study it and really get inside what uh, is being talked about, there's some tremendous truth, I think, for our generation, the culture that we uh, live in. So let me just kind of give you a little background as you're getting there in in Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a guy that uh, was uh, just sharing God's truth with God's people. He was a prophet to the southern kingdom. Uh, At this time, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. So in the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, he was a prophet. And he was, it was a horrible time in the life of of, uh, God's people, the the nation of Judah. And Jeremiah was, uh, again, communicating God's truth to them. them. He was warning them. That was really his role. And so uh, he was warning them that they needed to repent, that they needed to turn back to God, that uh, they had turned their back on him in a lot of ways. And he was warning them, if you don't get things right, if you don't come back to me, there's going to be some judgment uh, and there's going to be trouble. And Jeremiah, for two decades, 28 chapters worth of him over and over and over saying, you guys, we've got to get it together. Judgment is coming. Well, they continued to ignore, for two decades, 28 chapters, they ignored God's word through the prophet Jeremiah. And finally, just like Jeremiah had said it was going to come, it came. And it came through this judgment, through a series of invasions, uh, where God used the, the nation of the, the Babylonians, they invaded, they, uh, there were subsequent deportations of the people that they conquered, and they deported them out of the land into, uh, into, uh, back to their home of, of Babylon after they had conquered uh, the people. And so it's an understatement to say things were not going well for the nation of Judah, for the Jewish people. The Babylonians had come in. They had overtaken uh, the land. They had destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem. They uh, uh, had ransacked it. They eventually would destroy the temple, the place where, where God's people would worship. 
Uh, and, and as we kind of know, kind of in our culture, kinda, and try to always think about how does this relate to me? What, what, what does this story have to do with life today? What, can I, what parallels can I draw? And, and so let's think about what parallels can we draw to this story? Here was this, this, uh, this, this country that had invaded another country. They had, they had conquered they had invaded, and I think that, you know, it's one thing, as we have kind of learned as a country, it's one thing to invade and to kind of uh, take care of a military presence, but to conquer a people, that's a totally different thing. I mean, look at what's going on in Afghanistan and Iraq. There's still all kinds of trouble, even after, uh, after the big battles are over. And the big battles in, uh, that were Babylon invaded, they were over, but the Babylonians had a, had a plan, a way to conquer the people after they'd conquered the military. And their plan was to get all of the best and the brightest from that country, the people of Judah, and to take them, all the leaders, all the up-and-coming people, all the young and old, both alike, all the tradesmen and craftsmen, and to take them, all the leaders, and take them out of their homeland and to take them and to put them and to make them then live in their capital of Babylon. And so, it was their method of uh, keeping the rebellions to a minimum. I mean, he's going to lead a rebellion. All the leaders have been taken out, and now they're living in this foreign land. And so that was what was happening. It was dark, horrible days in the life of their nation. They had been destroyed, and now many of them were prisoners in this foreign land. They're living in exile. And so that's all the happy news. And now we get to verse or chapter 29. Just kidding. That was all the bad stuff. Now comes the good stuff. Here's what God says. In chapter 29, after he's warned them, after the judgment has come, it's, you know, things are not going well, they're living out now as a result of the consequences of their sin, but here in chapter 29, things pivot, things change, and now God begins to communicate some hope for these exiles, and you'll remember, uh, we're not going to read it because we don't have time to read it, but uh, if you'll remember that classic passage, if you know anything from chapter 29 of Jeremiah, you know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. That was God talking to them through the prophet Jeremiah. I've still got plans for you. Let's listen to see what he has to say in these first few verses of chapter 29 as he writes to the exiles. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile and to the priests and to the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of the Babylonians, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and his queen, the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal, worker, metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. Again, remember, they took all of the kind of the up-and-coming people and they took them away. You might remember the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel. These were all people in Scripture, you, if you read about them, they were all a part of these deportations out of Jerusalem, out of Judah, into this now different land and now they're living in Babylon and this is God's word skip down to verse 4 in verse 4 he says thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon and here's what he says to them here's what I want you to do he tells them I want you to build houses and live in them I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters to take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage and that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God is writing this letter to the people living in exile. God actually tells them the next couple of verses there. He says, uh, and if you go on, he says, you guys are going to live here for 70 years. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. If you look, historians tell us that absolutely, that when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed Jerusalem, then 70 years later, he began, they began to be let back into uh, their home country. But for 70 years, they were going to live there. So pretty much everybody, if you do the math... Everybody that was living at the time that Jeremiah is giving this, these prophetic words to the people that are living in the exile, pretty much everybody that was living at that time, they're going to die there, right? If I were to say to you, in 70 years, this is what's going to happen, most of us, there's some, but most of us uh, are not going to be around in 70 years. It's the same, same thing, and that's what they were kind of experiencing. This uh, this, so th- what he's saying is, okay, in 70 years you're going to go back, but until then, this is what I want you to do. This was his message to them. And look at verse 1. In verse 1, he, he, kinda, he says it, to the surviving elders. He says to the priests, to the prophets, to the, to the, to, and all the people, he says in verse 1. To the, he's talking to the surviving exiles. These people that have been taken from Judah, from Jerusalem, and had been taken away, and now they're living in Babylon. And so the first part of his message to them is this. You guys need to embrace your exile status. That's step one. You're going to be here for a while. You need to make the best of it. If you go on and you, you see he actually talks about there's some prophets because, you know, Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet. He just happened to be one of the few prophets on God's payroll. Kind of in our in our culture we live in, there, there may be other prophets. They're not all on God's payroll, if you know what I mean. There are people that were saying things, hey, God's telling me this to tell you. God's telling me. This is what some of the prophets said. Some of the prophets were saying, uh, actually, we're not going to be here very long uh, in Babylon because God's going to rescue us. Uh, don't, don't, don't make any big plans. Don't buy a house. Don't have any kids because it's not going to be long till we're going to go back to Jerusalem. All of us, we're going back. We can trust God. God's going to bring us back. And what God says to them is, do not believe these guys. Jeremiah tells them, those people that say that, they're not talking on God's behalf. That's what the other prophets were saying. Jeremiah says to them, Because God was prompting him to tell them this. This is the land that's going to be your home for the foreseeable future. Your future generations, yeah, you guys are going back. But for now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to live among these people. I want you to live among these people and the culture is going to be different. I want you to live among these people and their sense of morality is going to be different than yours. The laws, the rules that you've been used to, it's going to be different here. It's going to be different for you and it's going to be difficult for you to stand up and to live out your beliefs in this foreign land. But I want you to put your roots down. I want you to be a blessing to these people. I want you, he says to them, I want you to embrace your exile status. Now I want you to think about the parallels to the time, the culture, the generation that we find ourselves in today. And what do, we, what do we know from reading newspapers and checking out the magazines and hearing the 
pundits and the pontificators talk about what's going on in our world and what are we learning about what's going on in our world? What are we seeing as we look around? We see our world is changing. This country is changing. This land is changing. And in ever-increasing ways, we are living in a post-Christian country. We're kind of following along in, in very similar ways to what has happened already in Europe and uh, Australia, places like that, if you go visit. As a nation, we're moving away from a, a time, it wasn't that our entire nation ever was all Christian, but, but, it, but there was this underlying kind of idea that the truth that's found in Scripture is something that, that, that our society needs to be based on, and we're moving away from that in ever-increasing ways. We're becoming a nation that's more and more outspoken when it comes to its opposition to things that a generation or two ago, we never would have dreamed that things would have changed. Things like sexual ethics and marriage and family and some basics of morality. I, 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 was, I was listening to, uh, uh, or I was reading actually, uh, something that Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins is, is one of a, a group of kind of, <laughs> kind of grouchy atheists. I, I mean, I may have some bad way to kind of say it, but he, he's, kind of, he's, he's kind of an in-your-face kind of a atheist kind of guy. And he, he says that raising, this is what he's saying. I mean, and he's, a lot of people are listening to stuff that he says. He's saying that raising your children as Christians is, uh, is, is basically the equivalent of uh, abuse. To raise them in those kind of environments, to, to raise them in a, in a Christian home with Christian uh, values and morality and, and the teachings of Christ. That's the world that we live in. And it's not going to be any e- or get any easier to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our culture. And so we like them. And I, I don't say that to say that, that that's something that, that I think we need to wring our hands over and that we need to get all upset about. But it's just, it's the way it is. It's, it's, it's where we have been planted. It's the generation that we live. It's where God has us, just like God had them in exile. We are living in a lot of ways in exile. And we, like them, need to embrace our exile status. In the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, it talked about people that had died in the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 13, it says, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. We need to acknowledge that we are strangers. This world is not our home. We are temporarily here. There is a future that, we ha- that God has in store for us. But for here and now, we need to put our roots down. We need to uh, just embrace our exile status and be a blessing in the culture that we live in. That's kind of the message that, that God was giving to Jeremiah to give to them. And again, I, I don't think it has to be this hand-wringing kind of thing. It's, it's kind of where it is. Because I want to, let's be reminded, and, and Stark, and I forget the name of the book, that he, he wrote this book about the rise of, of Christianity in the first centuries after Christ. And the reality is that the Christian, that the, 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 the church, God's people, they, they totally radically changed their culture it was a pagan roman culture that they were in but they lived for christ they embraced their exile status and they made a difference and people in scores in droves came to christ and their world was changed as christianity spread as they embraced their exile status and lived for god and lived like jesus no matter what happened no matter what persecution came their way or what 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 about what's happening in china 
when you see the stories in a, in a, in a land where, you know, you don't just, you know, start a new church and put a sign out on the door and advertise in the newspaper and uh, it's an, the, the church is underground, but the underground church in China has exploded. Why? Because God's people have embraced their exile status. And if, you know, we're going we're gonna to live for Jesus. We're going to love people in Jesus' name. We are going to thrive where we are. And we, in the same way, if we're going to follow Christ, we'll continue to live in a culture where we become more and more like exile. But we must stand unwavering in our faith. Unwavering and faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of what's going on in our culture as it continues to change. If we go back to what the text says, he says to embrace, I think what he's saying to us is to embrace, we need to embrace our exile status, but, but listen as he helps them to flesh out what that looks like for them practically. And if you, if you look at the, those, the, those verses just before, uh, what, what did he tell them to do? He, said, he says in verse 5, I want you to build houses and live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons. I want you to give your daughters in marriage that they may have sons and daughters. I want you to multiply there and do not decrease. Do you hear God saying, I want you to hide out. I want you to hunker down. I want you to keep to yourselves. I want you to, to not interact with anybody. That is not what he says. What does he say? Look at verse 7. He says, but seek the wealth of the city where I notice what he said the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find welfare <laughs> so again what did he told him I want you to build houses and plant gardens and get married and have families and put some roots down. You guys are going to be here a while. I want you to love your world. I want you to love the people that you're, that, that you're living in exile with, the, the nation. And who is he talking to? These are the people that had invaded his country. These are the people that had destroyed Jerusalem. These are the people that, that had ransacked the temple, the glorious temple where they connected with the living God. These are the people that he's saying, I want you to seek the the peace, the peace, the shalom, the welfare of these people as you're living in exile. As you're living with people with a different, a different system of, of morality, different belief system. People that are looking at you as outsiders. People that are looking at you uh, and your way of life and they're, they're hostile to that. I want, you to, I want you to do something radical. And the thing that he tells them that to do is to seek the welfare of your city. God tells them, I want you to be a blessing. He doesn't say to fight them. He says to love them. To bless them. To help them. To seek the welfare of the city where you are living in exile. And is that not Jesus' message to us? Is that not what Jesus taught us? That, that we, in, as exiles in this world, this world is not our home, but as we are exiles in this world, we are not to keep to ourselves. We are not to build walls and to stay inside this church. We are to go. We are to love. That's what Jesus taught us. He said to love your enemies, to serve your enemies, to offer a cup of cold water in my name. And whenever you do it under the least of these, you'll do it unto me. He said, let your light shine before men that they see your good deeds and God gets the glory and God gets praise. He told us to do it he showed us how to do it he modeled it for us when he was nailed to a cross 
He'd been bitten, beaten and he'd been stripped and he had been unjustly accused. He had done no wrong. He was in the right. And as he stood there, what does, or as, he, as he was nailed there on that cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's not some in-your-face vitriolic adversarial relationship that we've been called to. We have been called to seek the peace, the welfare, the shalom. And that's what that word that's translated here, uh, translated in the ESV, welfare, it's that, if, we, if there's one Jewish word that's recognizable to us, it's that word shalom. And they translate, and some of your Bibles might have peace, to seek the peace. That word shalom, it, it, yes, it means peace, but it means much more than that. It means more than just the absence. Peace is kind of the absence of conflict, but it's much more than the absence of conflict. What he's saying is, I want you to seek the peace. I want you to seek the welfare. I want you to seek, and that, that word means the, the, the completeness, the, the wholeness, the, the fullness of what these people need. And is that not what our vision is, to restore God's ideal? I want you to seek the shalom, the peace, the welfare, the completeness, the wholeness of the the, the people of the city in which I have planted you. And that's our vision. That is why we exist as a church. Not for ourselves. We exist to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this community and in our world. And so that's our vision, to seek the shalom, to seek the welfare of the city, to seek the welfare of St. Joe, to seek the welfare of Benton Heights, Benton Harbor, to seek the welfare, welfare of Stevensville. And there are any number of ways that we can do that as a church. Many of you, like me, you serve on boards and committees and groups out in our community, trying to do whatever you can to seek the peace and the prosperity and the welfare of, of the community that you live. You're volunteering your time all the time. Another way that we do that uh, uh, as we seek the shalom or the welfare of the community that we've been planted in, practically, as we live this out, as we flesh this out, is financially. Uh, as you tithe, as you give your resources here, we have identified a number of nonprofits and a number of organizations that have a very similar uh, kind of idea, worldview, and, and, and mission in our community. And so we have identified uh, those local nonprofits and ministries and, and that are also working working to restore God's ideal, and we help because we tithe on the dollars that you give as a model, because we're asking you to tithe, 